thread. God's truth tying together all the pieces of your life. Thread is the broadcast of Dr. Chuck Quinley. Thread. Hi, I'm Chuck Quinley. Welcome back to Thread, episode 84. I've been traveling for about six weeks nonstop and going through China and different places in the States, as well as in Thailand. And I keep running into people along the journey who are listening to the Thread podcast and talk about the uh, the benefit of studying God's Word just a line at a time. Hard to find places, uh, even on the Internet, where you can do that, and especially for leaders, because that's really what the Thread podcast is all about, is, you know, I want my life to count. I want to influence other people, and I know that there's people out there, and you're trying to live that kind of life too, and we need a certain kind of spiritual diet, just like an athlete does. And our spiritual diet can't be just little snippets of Scripture and then a whole bunch of stories. We need to ground ourselves in the Word of God, and especially in those sections of the Word of God that have lessons for leaders. So we're in the book of Acts, continuing our study. We're in Acts chapter 8, and we're going to talk about something really interesting today, and that is mixed motives in the ministry. And we will see that this has always been a problem in the church. And I think the problem arises because of the spotlight that ministry allows you to step into. You know, some people are attracted to the the ability to be the authority figure and to speak for God. You know, even crazy people uh, are attracted to want to be the prophet and stand up and, you know, be more than a man. And so... When you mix, actually, I'm Pentecostal, so we believe in miracles and signs and wonders, and we see them. So when you add that, and especially sort of the showmanship that sometimes goes on in a a big public ministry, uh, I I can see why people might be attracted for the wrong reasons. You know, also, if you do, if you're not in a persecution situation, but you're able to market and brand and sell stuff, there's a lot of money to be made in a big ministry. And we're going to see a story today. We're actually going to have three characters in our story, and they all three have charisma. They all three have the ability to take the stage and hold people's interest. Uh, They've all done miraculous things. Uh, They have had that power, and they all have followers who think they're just amazing But boy, one of these guys has no business being in the ministry. He's just got evil all in him. He's messed up inside. He's not right. And we want to study that because we keep on having these battles, you know, and it it goes on country by country where the, the devil, you know, Jesus talked about how the devil will come in and sow bad seed in a good field. And you can't just chop everything down because then you kill all the good too. So you end up with this very curious situation that happens sometimes where a man or a woman gets themselves into a position of ministry authority and maybe even into a public following. But boy, if you know them up close, they don't have the character to be there. Their their secret side, you know, it's either so uh, proud or spiteful or angry or, you know, even it, it could be sensual. It could be. They could be drunken. They could steal money. I mean, there can be all kinds of things going on. And yet they still have this big public side. And it, it has just given Christianity such a, um, 
such a bad reputation. It's almost uh, irretrievable in certain parts of the world because this is how people see the ministry. And it's all this battle that we've had from the very first early stages of Christianity of how to keep the public ministry pure. You know, when it's just a house group size, it's one thing. When you're doing public events, that's where the, you know, the, the whole glamour and spotlight side comes in. So let's just dive into this. We were in our last episode, we were in chapter eight and there was a huge persecution in Jerusalem. And because of that, a lot of members of the body of Christ went out. They went back to their family territory. They went to new cities to live. People were being arrested and put in jail and they just scattered. But, uh, you know, it, in the beginning they scattered and maybe they were, they were kind of panicking, but after a while they got a hold of themselves and they said, Hey, this is a chance to minister. So they started for the first time being a missionary church and Philip went to Samaria where Jesus had preached and where he had already had an early harvest. So Philip ends up in Samaria and, um, he has great multitudes, chapter 8, verse 6. Great multitudes, and they are zoned into him. They're paying attention because of what he says. He's got a powerful gospel message about the transformation of your life, about liberation, about how Jesus is greater than the demon powers, and he is demonstrating that in verse 8. Unclean spirits cry out and they come out of people. People who were paralyzed, people who have been lame from birth are being healed. And there's this explosion of joy in the city. And in the crowd, there is a man that everybody knows. And maybe they're kind of amazed that he's there. And his name is Simon. And Simon, verse 9 says, is the city sorcerer. And he has held these people under his power for many years with demonstrations of supernatural power. I mean, he did supernatural things. He just did them through dark, through the dark side. And verse nine says he claimed himself to be someone great. So he's got a history of self promotion. He does not mind blowing his own horn, ringing his own bell. He's proud of himself. And he wants himself to be well known. Uh, and verse 11 says, The people have always listened to him because they were astonished at his sorcery. And he had done this for years and years and years. But now there's a movement, a supernatural shaking is going on in this city. And people believe, I love verse 12, it says, They believed Philip. It doesn't say they believed the gospel. It says they believed Philip, they believe the gospel because of Philip. He was an example of the gospel. He had the spiritual authority that came with someone who has been set free from his own sin. And he could stand there boldly and do battle against demon powers and against sickness. Uh, and people believed him. He was believable. He had credibility. He had the marks of a, a man of God. You know, and everybody respected this and they wanted this and men and women were baptized. I think that's cool because women were um, greatly, mm, 
discriminated against in those days, couldn't testify in court, couldn't own property. But yet here's Philip in the spirit of the kingdom of God and in the manner of the New Testament church. And he is baptizing women just like he baptizes men. It's the same level ground. Everyone's welcome in it and everyone is invited. And so Philip is bringing them a whole new way. And verse 13 says, Simon follows the trend. He sees that people are trending toward this. He himself gets caught up in it, and he he accepts the gospel message. And it says, verse 13, Simon himself also believed. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed, seeing the miracles and signs which were done. So uh, Simon starts to shadow Philip. You know, he himself has been a man with uh, dark spiritual authority. People have looked up to him. And now the whole focus of the town is on Philip. And Simon himself is, is not just jealous about Philip. He is amazed at Philip. And he can't, he can't get over it. It's real. And it's more powerful than the darkness that he knows. And he's walking with Philip. He believes this new thing. And he's been baptized. Now, back in Jerusalem. Uh, they're undergoing per- persecution. They are mourning over those who've been killed. They are uh, trying to figure out what their new strategy is. Some are being put in prison. But while all that heaviness is on them, they also hear this really great story that, you know what's happened? Philip has gone down to Samaria. There is an explosion of uh, Holy Spirit power, and people are being set free but there's something that troubles them in the story, and that is the absence of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. You see, these people are being set free. The, the cleanup of their life has taken place, has taken place. And the, the Holy Spirit has, has become resident in them, and they've been born again, and they are following Jesus, and they are full of joy, but... They have not gone into the positive side of it. You know, they've gone, they've gotten rid of their negatives. But from all the reports that they hear, no one is receiving the the power that Philip has. And the idea is not that a few select people get supernatural power. The idea in the kingdom of God is that this is everyone's power. This is the Holy Spirit. Just as the Holy Spirit lives in all of us, so his power flows through all of us, and all of us can do ministry. I mean, Philip wasn't uh, authorized. He wasn't an apostle. Philip's job was to deliver soup to little old ladies, little old ladies, and yet here's Philip doing this amazing ministry. He never went to seminary. He's never been you know, credentialed by anybody. He's just a brother in the church. He's empowered by the Holy Spirit. And everyone can be like this. And the Jerusalem church expected that everyone would be like this. Verse 16 says the Holy Spirit had not fallen on any of them. They had just been baptized. So they had an intellectual belief in the gospel. They had obeyed and repented. And they had been baptized in water. But they were missing that second experience where the power of God comes in and you yourself put on the armor of God and you begin to do the spiritual war and you join the ranks of Philip's, of Philip and Peter and James and John and the apostles all the way back to Jesus. You step up and you start to be part of the spiritual war 
that was missing. And it bothered them. They said, this is a, this is an incomplete experience. We can't explain it. So they sent down uh, Peter and John. And when they arrived in the town, they began to lay hands on the people. Verse 17. And the people began to have this experience so that it's not just Peter who has the anointing. Peter wants everyone to have the anointing. And he expects that everyone in this new kingdom has this new power. And he's not satisfied until he sees it. Now, it wasn't anything wrong that Philip had done. He had been faithful. This was an act of God because the Jews were prejudiced. And they uh, they had strong uh, lines against Gentiles uh, for good reasons. They had been polluted by their uh, experience in relationships with Gentile people. They had been brought into lots of sin by following the ways of those who worship many gods and those whose religious uh, festivals included sexual immorality and drunkenness. And that was a battle throughout the Old Testament was to keep God's pure people pure and not to join the nations. So they do that by staying away from the nations. Well, Jesus told them to go to the nations, but they really haven't gone. And so here's their first near neighbor. And Jesus told them when he left them, I want you to go to Jerusalem, Judea, that's Jewish people, then Samaria, and for the first time, someone actually has done it. So God is not going to complete the work until the Jerusalem church acknowledges this work and embraces these half-breed Samaritan people. And so when they come with their official representatives and Peter and John lay hands, sure enough, it starts to happen. Verse 17, people in the crowd, one by one by one, it spreads Speaking in tongues, miracles, prophecies, words of knowledge, revelation gifts, things that are not human abilities, they are supernatural abilities, start to flow in the ministry. And Simon is doubly amazed. And he asks for a a meeting with Peter and John because Simon has just gotten a glimpse of himself in the ministry. And he thinks, I'll be good Simon now. And instead of being a sorcerer, I'll be a Holy Ghost baptizer. And uh, I want this power that these guys have had. And, uh, you know, he, he apparently doesn't believe Philip has his power. But now Peter has got this superpower that he can actually give power to other people. And so, you know, think about what Simon's doing. He's got an imagination now of people receiving the Holy Spirit baptism. He is, he is imagining himself laying hands on people people being healed he's imagining and he's he's putting himself in the shoes of everyone he has seen in the ministry and he admires that and he is moving toward that and he's positioning himself because peter and john and philip are going to leave eventually and he's going to be left behind he's always been the spiritual father in this town and he expects that he can get in this position again and so he does something that actually creates a word. We have a word called simony. And simony means to buy influence or position in the church. To use your money and use your, uh, your, you know, your position as a moneyed person to get into a power position. And so Simon comes to them, asks for a meeting, verse 19. 
says, Give me this power also, that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. It's a good request. Except then he says, And I will give you money. And Peter's response is both public and immediate. Peter says to him in modern vernacular, you go to hell and take your money with you. Or if you want to say it nicer, may you be struck dead right now and die holding your filthy money. Because you thought, verse 20, that the gift of God could be purchased with money. Verse 21, you have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. See, this man was attracted to the ministry for all the wrong reasons. He's a neophyte. He has no Christ-like character. He has never been broken by God. He does not love the people. He does not have a calling to be in the ministry. God didn't pull him to be in the ministry. He wants in it for all the wrong reasons. And uh, Peter says, acting as a good gatekeeper, because brothers and sisters, this is your job. If you're in spiritual authority, it is your job to welcome people into the, into the circle who have the right spirit and who have the hand of God, obviously, on their life. And it is also your job to close that gate and lock it tight against anybody who shows up uh, and is pushing toward uh, ministry and authority and, or even just to be a uh, worm their way into the body of Christ who has no heart and has no business being there. You know, this is the, uh, the ministry is a very high and noble calling and it is for a person that God has called and for those who have embraced the ways of Jesus and will live those ways out. And Peter looks at this man and he says, you know, you, uh, I could add some words. Yeah, you believe in your mind. And yes, you've been baptized in water. You did all that part. But verse 23, I can see you're still poison. There's poison in you. You're poisoned by your bitterness. It's funny that he doesn't say you're, you're poisoned by greed. He says, no, it's bitterness. You've got the poison of bitterness and you are bound by iniquity. That word iniquity in the Greek means... Um, Hmm. whatever the opposite of righteous would be, you know, whatever uh, is good and trustworthy and faithful and loyal to God, whatever would be the absolute opposite of that, that's the word he uses. You are, you're that. You're so far from anything close to the ways of God. You have no business being in the ministry. You're not in the leadership team. You're not in the group. You keep hanging around us. And it's giving people the impression that you're part of this. You're not. Just get it clear. And uh, see, Simon in verse 24, it's interesting how he responds. Because Peter deals with this very forcefully as it should be dealt with. Simon says, pray to the Lord that none of these things will happen to me. Notice what he does not say. See, Peter told him, your heart is not right, brother. Your heart is not right with God. Well, I added brother. He doesn't even call him a brother. Your heart is not right with God. And Simon doesn't say, pray that my heart will be broken and God can remove the evil and make my heart right with him. He doesn't ask to be right. He just doesn't want the, he's got this superstitious. I've seen this all my life too. 
there's a kind of a person that it the, the the English say, you know, the penny didn't drop. And they mean, you know, when you put money in a vending machine and you push it in and sometimes you don't hear any sound and nothing works. And then when it works, you hear the coin drop through the machine. Everything starts to hum. And some people, it's like the penny doesn't drop. They get around church. They get to see all kinds of things that are real and true and beautiful. And it just never goes in, you know. They just, they're superstitious, they're surface level with it. And that's what this guy is. And instead of allowing him to just go on the rest of his life in this Christian group because he prayed the prayer and he did the water thing, Peter stops him cold and he says, it didn't take. Whatever you did, it didn't have anything of your heart in it and your heart is still messed up. You're not fixed. So you're definitely not in this circle. And And he boots him out. Uh, interesting to note that Simon does not disappear. He disappears from the Bible, but he doesn't disappear from church history. Church historians say that he continued to shadow Christian communities and to see himself as a Christian authority and that he was a father of many destructive heresies in the early church because he knew how to act big and sometimes simple people uh, followed him, and he introduced many, many heresies uh, and is seen as an opponent of a pure church in church history. Well, verse 25 says that uh, Peter and John began to preach in that area. They returned to Jerusalem, but they preached all along the way through the villages of the Samaritans. And uh, a great revival came. The ministry continued. God had a harvest in Samaria but it's really important to note that it's because of the purity in the motivations of those who were in charge of this mission and in charge of the ministry. So may the Lord keep our hearts pure. I think it's good for all of us to question ourselves if we, you know, if, if we're really living up to the kind of character that is, is needed to be in the ministry Uh, Or if maybe we get used to our position and we expect a little extra special treatment because of our service to the Lord. You know, the Bible says that you should honor your leaders, but it doesn't say that the leaders should go try to get honor. Um, There's a humility that's in a true man and woman of God. And this guy lacked it. And thank God he was put under the spotlight and he was pulled out of any possibility of invading the ministry. And I just pray God would give us pure churches in our nations wherever we live. Well, God bless you, my brothers and sisters. Um, I would love to talk to you personally. If you want to just email me, my personal address is chuck at quinley.com. Well, that's all for now. See you next time on Thread. Thread is the broadcast of Dr. Chuck Quinley. Log on to quinley.com.